Welcome everybody one more time to Encounter Church and also to part three of the series that we're in right now called Under the Sun. We're going to hang out in Ecclesiastes chapter three. If you can't find that, uh, you're in good company. Uh, the table of contents is going to help you quite a bit if you'd like to follow along. But we're not actually going to start off with a Bible passage this morning. Just kind of keep a finger near there. Uh, what we're going to start off with is, uh, is a quote from one of the most famed uh, uh, sports announcers, Howard Cosell, he, he was uh, commenting on a bit of some art and architecture. Uh, in fact, he said this statement one time. He said, commenting on this brand new building that was built, he said, this is the most magnificent structure of its kind. It is the most, um, uh, it's, it's the most magnificent structure, he said, in the history of humankind. And what, what stadium was he talking about? Of course, he's, he's talking about this right here, the Pontiac Silver Dome. And you kind of laugh because maybe you went there as a kid and you're like, that is not like the most incredible structure in the history of mankind. No, it, it, it wasn't. You might be wondering, I think, did I see that building in one of the Transformer movies for a post-apocalyptic setting? Yes, you may have. Did the Teflon inflatable roof collapse at one point? It did. It did. But there were some good times to this thing as well. In fact, um, uh, this structure played host uh, to uh, the, the music scene, Madonna, Bruce Springsteen, The Who, Elvis Presley even did a show there. Um, Super Bowl 16 was held at the Pontiac Silverdome. Maybe sports music isn't your thing. WrestleMania 3, Pontiac Silverdome, right? Exactly. But, but the, the record for attendance in this structure, at 93,682 people, record attendance was not set by a musician or a wrestler or a football game at all. The record attendance was set by none other than Pope John Paul II holding a Sunday afternoon mass at the Silver Dome. Isn't that incredible? This is, the Silver Dome had some good times. Uh, may, may she rest in peace, erected in 1973, demoed, imploded in 2017 after it became quite an eyesore on the skyline. Okay, why are we talking about art and architecture? Why are we talking about the Pontiac Silverdome? This is the reason right here from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 in verse 1. It says, for there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Everything has its time. The Silver Dome had some good times. It came and went. And we're going to dig into some of these words this morning, but, but one of the things that I want us to see is that the purpose of the Pontiac Silver Dome was not to stay standing, or in this case inflated, uh, for as long as it possibly could. The purpose of a football stadium or any stadium or any structure really in general isn't just to stand as long as it can. The purpose of a stadium is to execute what it was built for. And as the author here, he digs into time and one of the key concepts, one of the takeaways I would love for you to leave here today with is that same concept, that your time is a gift to be used not simply to be endured. As someone once said, how you spend your time is how you spend your life. Don't, don't just try to make it through to the end. That's not what your time has been divinely given to you for. Your time is a gift to be used for your God-given purpose, not simply to be endured and spent 
all in the end. To kind of get at this concept, we're going to see this time thing repeated um, over a dozen times in the short little passage. We have to know just exactly what kind of, what kind of time the teacher here is, is telling us about. Because it's probably fair to say that a lot's happened in the last 300 or 3,000 or so years. And when we think of time, it's a bit different than when they thought of this same word or this same phrase. And so I'd like to, uh, like to teach you a couple of words as a kind of concept to come back from. Uh, when the Greeks were translating this passage into Greek, and it just keeps saying like this repetition of time in Hebrew, they had a couple of options to choose from. And I think the options that they had were probably helpful in us understanding what the author is trying to communicate. Uh, okay, so we just have like time. Okay, I get it. They had a couple of choices. On the one hand, they had the word uh, for time, chronos was the option. Think chronological, right? Uh, this is, uh, you know, time can be stretched out. It can be laid out. Time is, is put in sequential order and it can be cut up. It can be divided. We think about time this way today. We think about time in terms of a year, a month, a day, an hour, a minute. Chronos time is measured in minutes, but kairos time is measured in moments. Kairos time has, has a certain fullness to it, a certain completion to it. Kairos time has a kind of ripeness about it. The Greeks, they loved to personify everything. So, so what they did is they took every concept that they had or every idea that they had and they turned it into a person. And they kind of, they eventually called those the gods or demigods or, or goddesses. And they told stories about them. And when Kronos is turned into a person, he's mean and he's old and he's got a hood and a sickle and we know him today as death. This is Kronos. He's evil and he's always taking, taking, taking. He's never giving back. It's the slow and steady march of time slipping away. But when they depict Kairos, he's young and he's handsome and he's strong and he's kind and he's benevolent and the stories about him are charitable because again, there's a fullness, there's a potential, there's a ripeness about it. So when people ask, when did you propose to my now wife I have a couple of options to choose from. I can say, I can say October 27, 2004. That's the Kronos time answer. But there's another answer. I think a better answer uh, because there's a Kairos answer. There's, there's, we had dated for around three and a half years. So the time was ripe, right? It was October 20. It was a crisp fall day, cold but not, but not too cold, not winter cold. It was, uh, it was sweater weather, exactly how she likes it. Perfect, her favorite season. October 27th, it was her birthday. There was a lunar eclipse that night. The stars were literally aligned. The moon isn't a star, I get it. Okay, I'm not an astronomer, all right? <laughs> the time was right. October 27, 2004, happened to also be the same evening that the Boston Red Sox had just defeated the St. Louis Cardinals to win the World Series, ending their 84-year drought. They made it. The time was perfect. It was ripe. It was, it was full. It's the Kairos answer. And so the author here, and he's like, 
He's like looking for the word and then we, we kind of like translate this through the ages ever since. And, and what the takeaway ought to be for you is that, is that when he's talking about time in the passage, he's saying not only is there like this option to just simply trudge ahead and endure, but the time has a certain potentiality to it. The, sim- the, the time has a certain purpose to it. And so the, the takeaway, the challenge for you as you head into the week You will get a text or a a phone call. Somebody might come up to you. And what they're asking for is a few minutes of your chronos time. But there is a kairos potential underneath it that's meant not just simply to be spent or endured, but for a purpose, on purpose. If uh, animals maybe are your thing, I've heard this, that two different animals, there's the horse, chronos time, with blinders on each side, trudging ahead, plowing a field, dutifully uh, assigning, executing its assigned task, and then heading to the stable at the end of the day, only to repeat the next day. But the kairos animal is the hawk that looks almost like if, as if it's out of eyesight entirely until it sees that opportunity and, and puts its whole self into an incredible velocity, momentum downward to capture that opportunity before it. I heard a story about somebody who was praying and asking God and hoping for an opportunity to share this unending uh, grace, the, the hope that they have in Jesus Christ with a neighbor of theirs. And it was just like, oh man, I just, I would love that, 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 uh, the chance to tell them about the hope that I have. And then one time they're like getting, I don't know, like outside together, getting mailed or something together. And the neighbor comes over and goes, listen, I'm struggling with something. Things are not okay in my house. You guys just kind of seem like you have at least some answers. How do you do it? Like, what's your trick? What's asked of me is a few kairos, a few chronos minutes, maybe a lunch, an hour, the opportunity to change somebody's whole world, whole life, is a kairos ripeness. It's meant time, not simply to be endured. It's meant to be spent on purpose for a purpose. But the author here, he, he wants to kind of say like, there's, there's different kinds of um, seasons that you're in, right? Your, your life, the times that you have, it's going to be a roller coaster. It's up and it's down and everything in between. He's going to fill out this list and he's going to, the teacher is going to share this, these incredible highs and these unspeakable lows. Listen to what he does in the next line, in the next uh, few verses here. He says, there's a time to be born in a time to die. It's a literary device. He's kind of capturing the ends and assuming everything in between. And he's got 13 other statements after that. This is the, the time that presumably all comes in between the time to be born and time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to wear down and a time to build. Sometimes commentators on the passage will argue back and forth about the meaning of some of these things. And, and one of the disputes that they have is around whether or not 
these items are listed as positives or negatives if there's a certain moral quality to it. And I'm kind of of the opinion that the author here, the teacher, is just sort of like saying, I'm not gonna give an evaluative comment to any of these things at all. I'm just gonna say, listen, you know, from your life's beginning until, until the end, there's a lot that comes in between. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. Well, is it better, isn't it better to heal than to kill? Yeah, probably, I don't know, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, there's a, there's a marauding band just next door to your village and they're coming. And just fighting and killing is a way of life. You can hide and then they'll take your, 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 your oxen, your camels, your horses, your harvest, your farming equipment. They'll just take it all and come out of a cave hiding. What's left? What are you going to eat next winter? He's just saying, this is a fact of life. This is just the world that we live in. There's killing and there's healing. There's tearing down. There's building. Verse 4. There's a time. There's weeping. And there's a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And the cruel irony about weeping and laughing is that sometimes it happens from one moment to the next. Because those of you who have been in or around searing pain, grief, oftentimes you describe it as standing on a shoreline, maybe a little over knee deep in water. And just as you're starting to make sense of the horizon of the space around you, it's like a wave comes from behind. It just knocks you over. Out of nowhere, and up is down, and down is, is laughed. And you have no idea, and you're gasping for air. You find ground, and so you can push up, suck in, only to be knocked over one more time. And this is how grief works. It comes in waves. And, and, it's, and it's not like able to be scheduled. You, you didn't want to experience the weeping and the mourning at a time your sister's wedding when you're supposed to be dancing and laughing, but that's how it works. It just shows up and knocks you off your feet. And the commentator is like, yeah, I know, I've been there too. I've journeyed with people there too. It's cruel. But when we're measuring out birth to death, we have to be aware that that's what comes in, in between. He says there's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. You think that he might be like scattering away, clearing a, a flat foundation to build on and then gathering the stones to be used as the structure he's building. Probably not. He's probably not talking about, about building and construction. He mentioned that already. He's probably talking about farming and soldiering because those two things were done by the same person. You could just be in your field tripping over a rock, knowing that's going to slow down the animals plowing the field, digging it up, throwing it off to the side, gathering all the stones, setting them somewhere to be used for something else later on and then immediately drafted into the king's army. And you could be marching through now somebody else's field, enemy territory, and your commander gives out the call for you to pick up any stones that are nearby and to just, just scatter them out into the field What's one stone going to make a difference in slowing down that field to spoil that field? No, but a thousand stones will. 
If a thousand stones are thrown by a thousand men a hundred times, listen, that field may not be used by this generation ever again. There's a time for farming. There's a time for soldiering. Scattering stones, gathering stones. The way of life for them, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend. Why would you intentionally tear? If you're new to reading the Bible, you should know that every once in a while you'll come across a phrase that a king or a queen or prophet, a priest or a mom or a dad or a son will be described as tearing one's robes. Now, this isn't just like incredible Hulk, like just ripping the whole thing off. It's not that. It's more intentional than that. It's a, it's a three-inch incision in the robes. Just to make sure, just to let other people know around that something, something happened. I've lost recently. If you see me in the marketplace shopping for groceries, please don't come up to me and ask me, how you doing? What's new? The tear in my clothes will signal to you, I am not okay. Please do not ask if you don't expect an honest answer. There's a time to tear those clothes and there's a time to get out the thread and to start stitching it back up. I am not yet healed even though my time of mourning is over. How different things would be, how better things would be if we knew those people walking around among us. I am in grief. I am not okay. You can see it on my clothes. I'm still recovering. There's a time for that too. A time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. He just kind of, kind of rattles it all off. War, peace, death, life, like it's nothing. Like it's, like it's keeping something, searching for something, like it's throwing something small or insignificant away. He just rattles through it all. I think of, of lots of things. One of the, one of the takeaways that, that I'm struck by in reading through this, this significant list, this massive list of, of different times, and you could add your own to it, a time to graduate and a time to enroll, a time to buy a house, a time to sell a house. You could add your own time in, into the mix. But one of the, one of the key takeaways is whatever time you're in, it's likely not permanent. And that's so important. I think you need to hear that so much. There's somebody that needs to hear whatever season you're in, whatever time you're in, there is a time for that. But there's also a time when that's gonna come to an end and a new time begins. Somebody's gonna go through something that you know maybe you're gonna go through something and you need to remind yourself that this too will pass. This is not permanent. I am not stuck here. I'm down right now, but it will get better. This time will come to an end. I had one of those experiences one time. I'm hanging out with my wife in the grocery store aisle. We've got a newborn. She's crying. We're exchanging like back and forth, taking our shift, taking our turn. And we're just staring at like the baby gear right ahead of us. And we're sleep deprived. And we're not thinking clearly because of all the 
cruel and unusual forms of punishment that a newborn is inflicting on us. No idea what day, time, month, anything at all. And we're just like looking at this thing, kind of staring bleary-eyed at the shelves, trying to decide whether or not we're going to be Similac family or Enfamil family. You know, if you bought the formula, it's like powdered gold. It's so expensive. We decided, by the way, in the end that in the budget, we're more like up and up store brand kind of people. But like, We're there and we're obviously stressed out. And this sweet woman, bless her heart, comes up and says, oh, a little baby. And then proceeds to give us some words of wisdom. In that moment, we were not ready to accept. You know, they're only little for a little while. And I'm grateful that my wife was holding our child at that point so she couldn't like start taking swings at the person in the aisle. Uh, I chose to take that differently. Some of you are wonderful baby newborn people and you love to just, just hold them. And you just can't, even if they're crying, their lungs aren't totally there and they're still sweet. And then you serve and, and volunteer in our kids' area, you just hold those babies and God bless you because I am not one of those. And I just, no clue. What do they want? Use your words. Like, I have no clue. Like, <laughs> what? Help me out here, you know? And so when I hear somebody in the grocery store aisle, they're only little for a little while. And I'm like, Thank you, Jesus, that they're for a little while. This, too, will pass. And if I'm honest, like, it's that moment, like, that exhaustion and the stress and the sleep deprivation, like, all of these things. And couples, right? And you don't have to be in a relationship. It's just somebody that you're very, very close with, a best friend, a housemate. You know You know what those trigger points are for them. You know what those things that you can say that will just set them off. You know what word to use to just level them immediately. And it's just like, once you say that thing, it cannot be taken back. It's toothpaste squeezed out of the tube. Like it's done, it's out. Remind yourself, when you're stressed, when you're tired, when you're exhausted, Remind yourself, this season is likely not permanent. This too will pass. Listen, don't, don't make a permanent decision on temporary feelings. Don't do something that cannot be taken back out of a moment that will soon pass that is not permanent. I did a, I did a degree in undergrad in psychology. Side note, if you're ever wondering, like, what do you do with a psych degree? Literally anything. Um, I had to memorize these facts and tables, the DSM for the diagnostic, for statistical manual, like all of this stuff, right? Trying to, to recognize and to counsel, to do whatever for the symptoms of depression. I learned more on the far side of all of that educational experience from just sitting with people and hearing some of the most powerful words are spoken from people who are in the, in the bottom, in the valley, in that low, low place of that mental health and just struggling mightily and having the courage, friends, the courage to say in that moment, I'm low right now. I'm down right now. I'm depressed right now. But I know 
that this isn't going to last forever. I will not do anything permanent out of this temporary season that I'm in. I know it will get better. This time has an end date to it. For those of you who have shown up today and you have been struggling with your relationship with God and you're doing the motions, you're checking the boxes, you're worshiping regularly, you're reading the Bible, you're praying when you can even though you don't know if your prayers are making it beyond the ceiling above you. You're doing what you can. It's just God seems so distant like this abstract concept And you're like, I'm drawing near to you. You're supposed to draw near to me. Why aren't you showing up? And I want to tell you, you're in a season. You're in a time. And that too will draw to a close. It has an end date on it. Do not give up. Do not hang up. Do not put the Bible down. Do not stop showing up. Find those people, rely on them, ask them to pray. Even when you cannot hang in there, don't give up. Don't make a permanent decision on a temporary feeling. This time is not permanent. It will get better. And the author here, he starts to make these, uh, these conclusions on the whole thing, on this whole conversation around time. He says in verse 9, He says, what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. Here's the burden. He has made everything beautiful in its time. We're coming back to that. This is the burden. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. See, the burden The burden for this wise teacher, and and remember, remember, he is monumentally wise. People come from thousands of miles to benefit from his wisdom, and he applies that massive brain of his to, to this burden that God has laid. He goes, this is the problem, twofold. Number one, number one is that God has, God has blessed, if that's the right word, with humanity, with this eternity, with, with this capacity to ask how and why. Like outside of the rest of the animal kingdom, God has just looked down on this particular species and said, you, you are going to have this burden of, of needing to know the thing behind the thing. When you hear about trauma, when there's an accident, when there's an illness, a hospitalization, when, when, there's, when there's a catastrophe, a fire, a flood, an earthquake, a hurricane, you're going to ask Why? Put it in perspective. You're going to want to like line things up somehow so that it makes sense. God has put eternity in your heart. You're going to want to see the trend lines to know what's coming up, how to prevent it in the future and why it's all happened. God put that inside of you. But the burden, as the teacher observes, the burden is that you can't fathom it. Is that you will be in a time And you're going to ask why, how, and there's not going to be an answer. You just won't be able to figure it out. And the teacher goes, I thought that I could just have enough data points and start to make the lines and to figure it out. And then you realize this is the burden. There's never going to be enough data points. There's never going to be the information I'll never get to know fully and finally why and how. 
a picture for this is um, last, uh, last winter, my kids, um, speaking of cruel and unusual punishment, had something like 14 snow days. Uh, we spent so much time together as a family. We needed, we needed a new hobby, right? So we picked up, um, we picked up puzzles, you know, something to do. Uh, and, uh, and when you've done 14 snow days, that's not even like weekends and holidays. That's just like days they're supposed to be in school. When you, when you have so many days together, you do all the puzzles in your house. And then like you're snowed in, so you can't go to the store. And if you can get out to the store, you don't have any money anymore to buy new puzzles. They're surprisingly expensive. And, uh, and so you just end up going to thrift stores and Facebook marketplace, the whatever you can do to like start to buy other people's puzzles. And when you buy cheap used puzzles like you do on the 13th snow day, they tend not to come in the box anymore. They come in, a, in like a bag. And you're like, okay, this is an added challenge. Why? You don't get to see what it's a puzzle of. You don't get to see what the picture is, do ya? I'm looking at this one and going, it looks blue. It's probably a, an aquatic theme underwater. Oh no, that's the back of the puzzle piece. <laughs> the front is green, lush, fertile, spring. Someday winter is going to be over. If it's white, maybe, maybe it's a Thomas Kincaid picture and there's like this winter scene and like the snow and the, and the house emanating warm light reminding me winter isn't all bad. It's blanket and fireplace season after all. Okay, I can survive. This too will pass. Right? What, what the picture is going to be, but you don't know. All's you ever get, all's much of what most of us get is just a couple of pieces Maybe two, three pieces that we get. That's it. We don't get the 2,000, pe- the, uh, 1,998 other pieces to the puzzle. We just get this. And every once in a while, one like snaps together. And we're like, oh, thank God. I get to see it. Truly, thank you for showing me a tiny slice. But oftentimes, we don't even get that. So this is the challenge that you're going out into the week. This is the challenge. To trust God that even though you can't see the picture, you trust that there's a plan. When your pieces aren't the ones that you want, they're jagged, they're sharp, they're ugly. God, why did you give this one? How am I supposed to endure? God, I trust that even though I can't see the picture, You're showing me there's a plan. I trust you. And if we could take that one step beyond this morning, because looking out, I know a lot of you have life, most of life up ahead of you yet. And the worst pieces life is going to deal may just be ahead of you. When you get it, this does not have to dismantle your faith. This doesn't have to destroy or even damage your faith. Make a decision today. Choose today that no matter what peace you get, you'll stay. That you'll pursue God. Even when it feels like he's given up on you, you'll stay. Choose that. 
Choose to stay, choose to pursue him, choose God and his plan. And you'll make it through. You don't want to be having a questioning faith at the time when the peace lands. Make that decision that you will praise him on the mountain and you will praise him when it's that mountain in your way. Stand up for me, would you, as we pray together, as we enter into this last song together. I want to invite everybody during the prayer, during the song, if you'd like to pray with somebody, if you'd like to make that declaration, that decision here today to choose God, to choose to pursue him, to choose him on the mountain and not, please go to the table in the back. We'd love to pray with you. If you don't even have anything particular on your heart, head to that table. We'd love to honor you in that way as well. Let's pray together right now. Jesus, Jesus, you showed us in so many ways what it's like now. This making life beautiful, making everything beautiful in its time, in your time. God, we know that you did that with the cross. You made it something, a sign of death and loss, a sign of hope and joy and life, God. It took 200 years, 200 years for your people to get there, God, but you made it beautiful in your time. And so God, whatever our peace is, whatever our pain is, make it beautiful in your time as well. We trust you. We trust you. Even though we can't see the picture, we know that you have a plan. Help us to lean on you this week. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.